Kurt and I are beginning a series, an Advent series, uh, over the next several weeks, going through Luke's, the, the narrative passages of Luke 1 and 2. And so I'm just beginning with the first week, and then Kurt will pick up the next week and uh, the several weeks after that. And so I'm going to draw your attention to the first passage. It's the story of the announcement, announcement of John's birth, John's conception and birth. So if you draw your attention to Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25, you have a couple of choices. You can follow along in your bulletin. The passage is printed there. I'm just going to read from there on page 3. Or if you want to use the Pew Bible in front of you, page 855, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. Here's God's word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the, of the division of Abijah. That means the Lord is my father. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old, I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that you would open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that we would hear exactly what you would have us understand. I pray then that you would speak through me, speak around me as is necessary, that we would hear exactly what you would want us to understand from this wonderful passage of the preparation for John's birth and then ultimately Jesus' birth. Teach us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 
Like many of you, I was hoping that November 9th would be the end of a very, very, very long season of the political candidate whole uh, two-year, very contentious um, presidential election system. Uh, but it wasn't. And many, like many of you, I analyzed why was this particular um, season such a different one? Besides that we had very colorful candidates, uh, I think probably what made it so interesting was that we're really dealing with an issue of truth-telling. Without naming any names, we had one candidate um, whose uh, political career had marked her with many contradictions, many outright lies that she was just caught in over her decades of political service and, and, and public career. But then the other major candidate, who will also go nameless, was caught constantly in contradictions and reversal of policies that he would deny, sometimes in the middle of interviews. The, the whole story would change, and we're even seeing now uh, after he's been elected, I said I wasn't going to mention names, but, but even afterward, where policies are entirely different from what he said they were going to be just a few weeks ago. And you and I are not even shocked because we expect it. We, we just know that politicians do this. We know not to expect the truth from political candidates. We have many jokes about politicians and the way that they just have trouble with the truth. We get used to it. And we all know people in our lives that also have trouble with the truth, but we don't usually consider them our close friends. Uh, if we have relatives that are like that, we, we have difficulty with them. It's very difficult to have a close relationship with somebody that has trouble telling the truth. That is a liar. It's very difficult to trust them at their word. But what about when God promises something? When God states something, something about himself, something that he's going to do, something about who he is, do you take him at his word? Do you assume that when God says something that, that he really is speaking the truth and always speaking the truth? Because that's what we're dealing with here. Zechariah is told what God is going to do, and he basically asks the angel to prove it. He wants verification. Give me that in writing. I, I want proof. I, I am having trouble believing that. And if you and I are completely honest, we're like Zechariah in that way. There are many, many things that God has declared in his word that you and I have trouble believing. Oh, we might not say it that way. We might not say, I don't think God always tells the truth. But many times, we have had trouble believing that God hears our prayers, for example. We pray, but is God really listening? Is, is God really there? He, I know he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but boy, there have been many times I, I think God has left me or forsaken me. So I suppose maybe he wasn't telling the truth when he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I know he says he can do all things, but it seems that so many of the things that he should be doing, he's not doing. So is he not able to do them? Or does he not care? Maybe he's not kind. Maybe he's not good. Maybe he's not really loving. I'm confused. Is God really truthful? Is the God of the Bible really the God of reality? And so I think if we're really truthful with ourselves, we might as well be, okay, do we honestly believe that everything that God has revealed himself in scriptures 
is absolutely true. We wonder if he cares. We wonder if he knows. We wonder if he can. We wonder if he can do all things. We, we have trouble with the consistencies of God. We, we doubt sometimes about heaven and hell. I mean, I realize doubting whether hell exists is a very convenient thing not to believe. Some of you might, may or may not struggle with that. But I even find that many Christians have very strange doubts about heaven. And I've preached this before. I don't expect Christians to have a death wish. Oh, I can't wait to die. But Paul kind of did, didn't he? Because he said, you know, to die is to be with Christ. I mean, he, he actually looked forward to being with the Lord. How many of you really, really think that when I'm gone from here, I'm going to be with the Lord and I can't wait for that? No, many of us, we cling to, oh, I can't. I hope that this happens while I'm still alive. And I hope I see this and I hope I see that. Really? It, would you rather experience these things on earth than to be with your Lord? I mean, many Christians, they doubt. They're not really sure that God's got this together, that heaven is really a fantastic place to be. I mean, they figure, oh, God, you know, it's probably okay, but I'm not really convinced that God has really, really, he really knows how to make heaven an enjoyable place. At least I know what this is. So Christians even have doubt about heaven, about how great heaven itself will be. Can we really trust God's word? I think that's what this passage is about. I think that's what we're supposed to see, that Zechariah is faced with a very straight thing of what God is going to do, and he says, I don't believe it. I simply don't believe it. And, and so I want to talk about doubt. It's similar to what I talked about two weeks ago, but I want to talk about doubt and doubting God's word. Now, first of all, where does it come from? Where does doubt come from? You actually know. It comes from the garden. You know, immediately after Adam and Eve are created, or at least we don't know how much period of time takes place, but after Adam and Eve are created and, and all creatures are created before them and, and, and their responsibilities are made clear, Satan shows up. And what does he say to Eve? Oh, it's very clever. Did God really say that you may not eat from any of the trees in the garden? So first he twists God's words because Satan knows full well that God did not say they may not eat from any of the trees. So first he twists the words a little bit. But then it's kind of like, did God really say this? Did, did he really say? I mean, come on. And So what he's implying, of course, I mean, it, God knows that if you eat of the tree, that you will be like God. You will know good and evil. God's holding out on you. God... God is not the God you think he is, Eve. I mean, if you listen to me, you'll actually get something good. God is not as good as you think he is. Wow, there it is. There is the first instance we see where doubt takes root. And Eve says, wow, I hadn't thought of it that way. Maybe God isn't who he says he is. Maybe the words that he's spoken to me and the way he's revealed himself are not really true, and she bites, literally. So here we have Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are um, a God-fearing, law-abiding couple. It even says that they're righteous and blameless. It sounds like they're perfect, but that's, that's biblical language. It doesn't mean that they never do anything. What it means is they love the Lord their God, and they follow his laws to the best of their ability. They really are seeking to follow him, and when they sin, they do get atonement, by the sacrificial system. And this is how the Old Testament believers are saved, in that they follow the law and they look to the Lord and their sins are covered 
by the sacrificial system that looks forward to the Messiah's blood. They don't understand that completely, but this is what they look forward to, and they are saved. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're a righteous couple, but they have no children. Now, if you yourselves have struggled with infertility, or you know people who have, you know it's a very difficult, painful thing that raises all kinds of questions. I mean, the obvious question is, why? Why is this happening? I mean, we have people who have children who don't want children, and I want children. We're going to be great parents, and you won't give us children. Why is that? And added to this, in this culture, it's embarrassing. It's shame. I mean, they're supposed to be a righteous couple, but they don't have children. So you know what everybody else is thinking? Sure, they're hypocrites. They may look like a righteous couple, but they've got a secret sin going on because if they're righteous, God would give them children because that's just the way they think. And so here they have the embarrassment and the shame of, we don't have children. Is God judging us? And so you know in their hearts, they're questioning, have we done something wrong? Is, Is God angry with us? Is God really good? Why is he treating us this way? And so they're questioning that. And then, of course, they're worried. What happens when we get old? Who's going to take care of us? So they, they prayed for decades for children, for children, or a child. And now Elizabeth is old. And Elizabeth is probably now to the point that Zechariah might have stopped praying for a child. I mean, if she's really, I mean, if she's, she's beyond childbearing, it explains why when Gabriel comes and says, your prayer is answered. And, Gabriel's like, and Zechariah's like, well... I don't I have a hard time believing this, you know, because Elizabeth is beyond this age. It may be that Gabriel's saying, remember that prayer you stopped praying 15 years ago? Well, now's the time. Zechariah has a really hard time believing that. And you and I, we understand that, okay? I don't know if that's the, actually the prayer that Zechariah was praying. Is that, what, is that what Gabriel meant? That's the prayer that now God is answering? Or could it be a different prayer? Because the priests... When they offered incense, they also were praying, as many of the devout Jews are praying, like Anna and Simeon in the temple. Okay? They were praying for the redemption of Israel. And it might be that that's what Zechariah was praying in the temple as he's lighting the incense, and maybe that's what Gabriel is saying. Your prayer, Zechariah, for the redemption of Israel is now being answered. Boom! Twice! A son and the redemption of Israel. It's coming. I don't really know. You don't know. But, wow, the prayer is being answered. And Zechariah's like, um, too much. I can't handle that. Okay? I need proof. Can you relate to that? Have, do you have a list of unanswered, unanswered prayers in your life? I bet you do. I bet, I bet you actually could look back at your life. In fact, there may be a prayer now that you've been praying for for decades. Many of you have children that have either strayed away from the Lord or have never shown an interest in Jesus Christ. And you've been praying and praying and praying, and you're still waiting. And in fact, you're probably saying, what's the use? Okay, I don't think God's ever going to do anything. And, you know, we don't really know what God is going to do. But it causes you to ask questions about the goodness of the Lord. And does he even care? Does he hear my prayers? What about difficult things? Okay, children that have gotten into big trouble. Your marriage may have fallen apart, okay? You've had emotional health issues in your family, financial crises, health crises, all kinds of things. And in the middle of them, haven't you often said, where are you, 
Lord, like the psalmist, why are you far from me? And it might be that you're still wondering. You know, you might be on the other side of it, and you might still be saying, where was the Lord? And in the depths of your heart, though you might not be willing to say it, you might really be saying, is the Lord really good? Has he really been good? I mean, I know the Bible says that he loves me. I'm his child. My name is written on his hand. I don't feel like that. And, And so this is Zechariah's situation. He hears the word of the Lord very straight out. I don't buy it. He doesn't accept it. So we can understand Zechariah's kind of question because you and I have experienced those kinds of things. We may be experiencing it right now where when we read something in Scripture, which is the Lord's revelation of himself, we don't, we don't really buy it. We're not really sure it's true because our experience seems to totally contradict what Scripture says. And when that happens, I think we have to realize why Gabriel gets so upset. Okay? Because doubting God's word is doubting God. And so my second point, not just where doubt comes from, doubting is actually doubting God, and that's sinful. I've never watched a whole episode of Touched by an Angel. I say that with some pride. But some of you have. And I I, I contrast in my mind the little snippets that I've seen, and I'm trying to imagine Gabriel You know, Gabriel means God is my hero. And I could just imagine what he must have looked like, all arrayed and and looking very fierce. And any time an angel shows up in Scripture, you know, the first thing they always say is, don't be afraid, because naturally they are. It's not just that I think that it's a supernatural being, but I think they would just strike terror into somebody as they appear, kind of like a gentle Della Reese, okay? But it's a scary thing. And They say, this is what God says. And Zechariah says, I don't believe it. Somebody said about this passage, you ever want to make an angel of God angry, tell them you don't believe him. Okay? So Gabriel is so offended. I stand in God's holy presence, and I've come to tell you what God's going to do, and you're telling me you don't believe it? Now, let's translate that to ourselves. Scripture is God's revelation. What he has chosen to tell us about himself. And he tells you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Think of all the things he tells us. And you tell him, I'm sorry. I just don't believe that. What are you saying? You're calling God a liar. Now, I I know I'm beating you up when you think about that because we got doubts all over the place. But when we question whether God can really be true. Does he really have the hairs of my, num- my, my head counted? That's what it says. Okay? Is that too hard for God? It sounds like an hyperbole, but is that really too hard for God? This is what Scripture says. Is he really unaware of my pain? It's, scripture says that he's totally aware. He's very aware, and he cares, and he can do everything about it. So when I question it, I'm sinning. And and the irony of this passage, when Zechariah says, I want proof, you know the meaning of Zechariah? The Lord remembers. (laughs) 
So it's so ironic that Zechariah has a hard time thinking that God could remember his promise, remember his prayers, hear what he has promised to do. Is God fair? Does he hear my prayers? Is he kind? Is he good? When you question the character of God, you're calling him a liar. So we really want to think about that. We want to think about that kind of heart. And yeah, that would leave us in a very terrible spot because every one of us then would be guilty of a terrible thing because we do question God. When we do that, there are some things we need to rep- uh, there are some things we need to remember. So although I talked about where doubt comes from and why it's so wrong, what do we do about it? Well, I think the first thing we need to remember, you know, Zechariah gets punished for his doubt. Now, his punishment it actually is not that severe. I, you know, he's not allowed to speak for nine months. Some men wouldn't care about a, a punishment like that. Okay, but for nine months he's not able to speak. But then he knows that when John is born, he's going to be given the ability to speak again. And so he, he learns his lesson because when he does speak, the most wonderful poem comes out, the most wonderful psalm, the Benedictus, that he speaks, and, and that will be preached in a few weeks. Um, and he reveals who God is, or he speaks about it. I would suggest the first thing we do when we struggle with these doubts is we simply acknowledge it. I mean, what fools we are if we think we can hide it. When you're doubting God, he knows that you're doubting him. I mean, the Psalms are full of this. David doubted God all the time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? David's doing this all the time. But it's wrong. These are our feelings, but they're not supposed to lead us. We can simply announce it. I think one of the most profound statements we see in the Gospels is when the man whose boy is demon-possessed comes to Jesus and he says, my boy's demon possessed. If there's anything you can do, and Jesus says, what? If? If there's anything I can do, everything is possible for one who believes. And what does the man say? I do believe. Help my unbelief. And I think that's a great prayer. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's admit where our doubts are, and then let's seek some help. Now, the only way you're going to really know what the truth is of God, and this is so basic, it's ridiculous, is to know what God's Word says. So many of us, I think probably everybody in this room would acknowledge, I believe that the Bible is God's Word. But there are also many of us here that don't really read it. So it's this ideal that I know the Bible is God's Word, but you don't really know God's Word because you're not studying God's Word, so how do you really know what God is saying. So unless you're going to be a student of God's word, then you're not really aware of how God is revealing himself. So if you're really serious about knowing who God is, then you're going to need to be a student of God's word. And you can do that on your own, and you should. But a small group Bible study is a fantastic, very important way of doing it. And if you're not in a small group Bible study, I think Bev Holra and Kurt Young would love to talk to you about being part of a small group. Because if you're in a small group, especially one that's studying not just a book about the Bible, which can be very good, but studying scripture and challenging you to say, yeah, but how are you applying it? How are we going to apply that? What does this verse mean? Really challenge you. Say, if this is what God is saying, what does it mean to us? How do we understand it? How are we going to apply that? That will help you grow. And so really understanding what God's word is saying. And then, of course, confessing our sin, believing the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Lord, I am a doubt. I'm just full of doubts. I need you. I need to confess that I am full of doubts. Jesus is the only one we see in Scripture that had no doubts. Mary, 
Jesus' brothers, they doubted. They doubted. Jesus does not doubt. When he's in the garden, don't tell me that Jesus was doubting. He was not doubting. Okay? He was struggling. He did not want to go through it, but he was not doubting. When he says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not doubting. He knows that God has turned his back on him. Jesus is the only one that is totally faithful when we are faithless. And that's why when we place even our little itty-bitty faith in him, he is faithful when we are not. So place your faith in him and let him take care of us. He will forgive our doubts. He will forgive our doubtfulness. But when you place your trust in Jesus, he also gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit confirms what is true, and you will grow. And so I encourage you, if you've not clearly placed your faith in Jesus, you need to do that. But even if you have, affirm that. Realize, I know I'm doubtful. I know I'm full of doubts, and I actually offend my Lord when I question his character. Affirm your faith in Jesus. Know that he is the one who died because you are a faithless wretch like I am. You don't trust God like you're called to do. That's why you need Jesus. That's why we all need him. So I just encourage you to place your faith in him, to renew your faith in him. It's an amazing Amazing message. It's almost too good to be true, but it is true. Would you pray with me? Our great God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for Zechariah, who ends up being an example for us in a negative way. We thank you, though, that he does come around and he becomes a man of great faith as he sees the gift the miraculous gift of his son. Lord, help us not to be faithless people, but people of great faith who believe in a great Savior. Help us to exalt you. Help us to look to you when our faith is weak because you are exactly who you say you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.